Holyoke Media presents an interview with Paddy Lubold and Courtney Edman about their new podcast, The See Me Podcast. Neurodiversity, noun, individual differences in brain functioning regarded as normal variations within the human population. Merriam-Webster. Here we are in our podcast station one in our new facilities at One Core Plaza in Holyoke Media. And we are making this story and this piece, even this podcast, about a podcast that is being produced and recorded here. And this podcast is titled, named See Me. I want to welcome our two producers and hosts of this new podcast, and especially to share the work that this podcast is going to be offering for community, for parents, and to educate us in many aspects related to uh, neurodiversity. So, Patty, Gurney, welcome, and if you could please introduce yourselves. Thank you so much. So, um, hi, Johan, and uh, all who are listening. My name is Courtney Edmond, and I am a coach of people who, of all ages, who have complex learning profiles. And uh, in this podcast, and, and of parents as well, parent coach, um, and in this podcast known as the See Me Podcast, I am joined with host Patty Lou Bold, and um, I am uh, in my coaching work. The name of my company is To Tame the Shame, with the number two. And Patty and I came together um, to create this podcast to bring a message of hope and um, provide information that's not easily accessible out there to parents um, who have kids with complex learning profiles, who are neurodivergent, and we're excited to be here in Holyoke Media Studios. Um, to help others learn about it, as well as to share the good work that's happening here. So thank you so much for having us. Patty? Thanks, Courtney. So uh, as Courtney said, I am Patty Lubold, and I am co-host with her on our See Me podcast. And for me, the journey has been a little bit of a long time in coming. Um, I had started toying with the idea of a podcast to bring uh, more messaging to people and help for people um, who were raising kids who are neurodivergent and have, as Courtney said, complex learning profiles. And I was toying with the idea and my world coincided with Courtney um, through Hoyoke Public Schools. Uh, I discovered her um, by happenstance that way and reached out to her um, in a bit of desperation. <laughs> it. Uh, a few months ago just to help with different issues uh, that my family was experiencing. Um, and my youngest son, um, who uh, is dyslexic, and he, he uh, was also getting some additional supports in school. And so that's how our worlds came together. Um, but as the more that I talked to Courtney, the more that I realized uh, that it can feel very isolating and alone, uh, it particularly 
when there's not a lot of information at the ready to deal with some of the complexities, executive function skills, and other issues that um, come about. Um, and you know, with all of the 12 or 14, 15 books that I have on my nightstand table since uh, fourth grade um, for my son, um, it's just, it's not always easy. And sometimes the services uh, are disparate at school. And so it's very important to have a lifeline. And I knew that I was not alone in this boat, but I don't think a lot of people talk about it. And so when Courtney and I teamed up, it just seemed like a natural fit. When I hear the name CIMI and thinking about all the particular situations that as parent of a child with a neurodiverse situation, sometimes if it is not pretty obvious for people to identify there is a particular uh, neurodiversity situation, they just assume something is maybe not fine with behavior or many other factors. So I think the name is a perfect way to bring that attention about what is not visible doesn't mean that it's not there. So how was for, for, for both of you once you found you had something to talk about and to share and then going ahead and saying, we're going to make this podcast happen. Yeah, for me, you know, really right after the first conversation that I had with Courtney and she had been running a parenting group and, and she was at that time breaking out on her own too. Um, that was how she made me feel seen um, in particular. Sometimes um, with some neuro um, neurodivergent uh, challenges, like dyslexia, it's not always apparent that someone is struggling um, or that they might respond to something a little bit different and people kind of write it off, as you said, as behavior. And then for parents, trying other ways to parent, for example, then I'm, um, then other people find acceptable, you know, might look like you're being passive or, you know, you're not, or also being, um, very vocal and advocating for disability rights and things like that in school, like very much so. Um, it can feel, even though you're trying to empower yourself, it can feel very disempowering because you're constantly on this talk track of like, oh no, here it happens, here it goes again. And then Courtney, was, I remember she said, she's like, stop, <laughs> these are real challenges and you know, let's take a breath and let's, you know, chunk them out and, and figure out, you know, what's going to be best for you and your family. And no one had ever said that to me before. Um, and so I always say to her, I, I, I just, you know, I, it sounds dramatic, but I just wanted to just like fall to my knees and be like, thank you. Um, because I did feel seen. And I think that was the power in the, in choosing the name of the podcast, see me, because I felt seen as a parent. And then I felt that there was someone on the other line that understood the challenges that my son was going through and what, what solutions might be appropriate for him. Yeah. And then, 
you know, what you talk about, Johan, in terms of see me, and sometimes we don't always see what's happening. Well, we see what's happening on the outside, but we don't always know what's happening on the inside because these neurodivergent disabilities are brain-based. And as a result, they are invisible, but they manifest externally as behaviors. And I know this and have lived this and could resonate with Patty and her experience with her son and started coaching, in fact, and you know, providing a space for parents like Patty and myself to come together to be seen, to be heard, and to go through this journey knowing that you're not alone. Because I lived it with my own son, who's now 20, still living it with my neurodivergent son, who's 20, who um, is what's called twice exceptional. So he has he has a very high intellect that could be classified as gifted. Um, and he also has ADHD and anxiety. And that combination many times masks the disability. And it can also occur um, vice versa. And so it's important when there is this invisible disability to see the people as people first. And I think that's part of what Patty and I wanted to bring the message to is let's see these people as people first. Let's see them for what they can do instead of through a deficit model of what they can't do. And by seeing them as people first who want to be successful, who don't want to be called out and have consequences and after consequence, after consequence, after consequence, to feel badly about themselves and who they are as people and not be able to meet expectations repeatedly. They want to live, you know, happy, confident, thriving lives also. And one of the things that I came to learn is to be true about these kids with these invisible disabilities whose needs are not being met is that they live with shame. Just like Patty was talking about, we as parents are living with shame because we're seen as helicopter parents <laughs> a lot of times. Um, and we're seen as people who don't discipline their children. And we're seen many times or have the experience and feeling that we're the problem. If we were just better parents, our kids would meet expectations. And yet, that is the exact opposite <laughs> of the truth because we're good enough parents and we know that what we are doing isn't working, the challenge is that we don't know what else to do. And this podcast, in part, is to help parents learn what else you can do and that you don't have to do it alone because the what else you can do is really hard to implement because it goes against the grain of everything we've learned that a parent should be, other than an incredibly loving, patient, kind, compassionate, curious parent who wants the best for their kid. And what we have learned is that it starts with the relationship and the behavioral approach to these invisible disabilities has the relationship at its heart 
but ultimately it's at, about changing behavior through interactions with your children that for our kids who are neurodivergent and have these invisible disabilities makes the behaviors worse. And so what we need to do is see our kids through the lens of they want to do well, they want to be successful, they want to meet expectations, they want to thrive. And Patty and I have the tools because we've read all the books <laughs> and more books that keep coming out and we really just want to have the opportunity to share this information with the world. And, and just one thing I would just build on what you said, and I think this is a journey that my son is my greatest teacher um, because a lot of the expectations that we carry around, whether they're expectations about how you parent or how you show up at school or how you show up at work, um, some of the expectations are not realistic for all people. And that doesn't mean because they're not realistic that that person has a deficit or that they're somehow at fault. And I think for many people with hidden disabilities or communication disorders, they are often felt like there's something wrong with them because they don't get it. But what but then but there's a system that is faulty and not inclusive for everyone to learn. And you know, as a communications professional, I see this at work a lot where uh, you know, we as a in a communication meeting are trying to produce materials, for example, that scan, you know, three countries, three different cultures, six different time zones. Um, and when we look at the content, that content has to be readily accessible to that entire audience. But when my son shows up at school, much of the content that he has to see on a daily basis is not accessible. It doesn't mean that there's something, there's an issue for him in terms of him internally. It means that the way and the medium that those that information is being delivered is not inclusive and it needs to be and that's why we have IEPs and that's why we have special education classes. Uh, but and in Holyoke, it's not certainly not a, a secret that that is um, it's a very high need population in the Holyoke Public Schools, um, and there are many many more children than than my son um, who have experienced this and who continue to experience this, and and we really need to shine a light on what inclusive education is uh, and why it's so critically important as we send these kids out into the world, and and also for kids who in particular don't present, don't seem to have difficulty accessing content. And I don't mean that like they, they come across as being capable of succeeding in school, getting C's, getting B's, passing, mm -hmm. right? And yet they're working so hard mm -hmm. to achieve that because of the inaccessibility. So they're working hard or parents are working hard to provide support so that they can succeed. But if they if their disability were seen and they were provided with the accommodations that were needed to allow them to have access to the material in a way that their brain needs and in the way that they learn, they would not be having to work as hard. They would be more efficient, more effective, and more engaged, in fact, I believe. Um, and so sometimes 
instead of being engaged and and they they get exhausted they they're tired and what we see are behavioral challenges related to that disengagement related to that frustration related to the effort that's required and so if they disengage they're seen as lazy they're seen as they don't care they're they seen as they are unmotivated they're seen as disrespectful and one of the um, I'm trying to think of the word uh, professionals, experts out there in the field of neurodiversity. Her name is Mona Delahook, and she's a um, clinical psychologist. And she talks about let's look beyond the behaviors and let's look at this. You know, the behaviors are the tip of the iceberg, but beneath the surface level of the water is truly where we need to be making an impact. But it requires us to look below the surface of the water to get curious and use what are called bottom-up strategies at the root of the, the bottom of the iceberg to build from the inside. Instead of using top-down strategies, with which are those BF Skinner um, rewards and consequences to extinguish behaviors. So yeah, we want the behaviors to not be there. <laughs> That's I'm not arguing with that. Neither do the kids. But the way that we approach the behaviors um, from a bottom-up perspective rather than a top-down perspective, especially if the top-down perspective isn't working, is so important. I can't emphasize how important it is. And societally, at this stage where we are, that's not the default. It's typic- The default is typically the, the behavioral lens. And so... Um, yeah. Yeah. It, just to bring that to to a um, a real life example that I'll share. Um, it, when you're talking about top down not working and sort of a missed opportunity um, to redirect um, in a classroom, for example. So transitions in hallways can be very noisy and uh, difficult, and so. You know, it's, it's not uncommon for, for kids to have trouble settling right in um, anyway. Uh, but also um, anxiety and things about having to read aloud or what's happening, going to happen next in the classroom is also can be heightened for some of our neurodivergent kids. And this one student um, that I know uh, was traveling to class and in the middle before that class happened, uh, there was a code white, which was um, an active shooter drill, and there were sirens that could be heard in the background. So there wasn't, so that was anxiety producing. So we have transition, then we have anxiety of the student going into the classroom. And then they had their um, do now ticket in which is a you know get ready to work type of a of a system and during that time following the code red minutes maybe seconds later okay you're going to break into groups and you're going to have to read aloud the child is dyslexic and so now he's with with his peers and so he's already nervous so of course he starts to do behaviors to fling his pencil or tap his leg, and so the teacher throws throws him out of class. And the parent called, tried to explain the situation, but the person, got, the child, got a zero. When that happens again, 
to me, that is just not looking at the entire child, the whole child in front of you and what might be happening, you know, to dial it back and say, you know what, I get it. And that was a lot in that four minutes between when you left your other class to this class and now you know we're ramping up the anxiety with the active shooter drill and now you have to you know how how can we expect that to happen and and by the way this child also had an accommodation in their IEP to let them know a quick tap on the shoulder privately to say we're going to ask you to read this section you know like so that they won't get jammed up um, and that wasn't followed so that those types of missed opportunities are a very common occurrence for our neurodivergent students, I would say, and it doesn't, ha it doesn't have to be that way if we can step back. And part of the reason why Courtney and I are sharing is that these are, these are things that can be handled in a different way, a more positive way, um, that can help with classroom management in addition to helping the student, right? Yeah. It and I know, Johan, you probably want to say something, but I yeah. also just want to touch but base. But we did say we talk a lot. So. I know, exactly. <laughs> it's why we're in podcasts. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to mention that one of the things that we're not saying is that, you know, in that situation when the student was throwing things or flicking things, right, we're not saying that we, we don't want to ignore the decisions and the behaviors that these kids are making. But we don't want to punish them for their internal nervous system dysregulation that's directly related to their invisible brain-based disability. And by the way, they can't think logically when they're dysregulated and they're having those emotional moments of anxiety because they can't access the logical part of their brain. And so to what Patty has talked about, providing these accommodations and taking a step back and thinking, gosh, I wonder what's going on with this kid. Um, and taking a quiet moment to say, hey, what's up, right? And then once we've connected with the child and, and the student and been able to understand what's going on, we can then move to a conversation about, so hey, the next time when that happens, instead of throwing things, which might cause harm to someone else, um, can you come over and talk to me? Or can you um, ask through the bathroom? Or come up with some type of a signaling system to let an adult know, let the teacher know if the teacher has forgotten about the situation, because teachers have a ton of things to manage. But let's just find a way to meet in the middle and have a conversation that's based in curiosity and compassion and the presumption that people want to succeed and meet expectations. And a lot of times when their nervous system is dysregulated, they're not going to. Just by listening to this example, it is the perfect way to put it out and give people a visual situation that it may have happened multiple times and the assumptions are immediately that you are behaving bad, so there's consequences in a just automatic way to respond to that without even stopping for a second and realizing there might be many other factors that are creating that reaction or that behavior to occur. So the value of the CME podcast definitely comes in a perfect moment for a community here in Holyoke and definitely in many other municipalities in a, in a region where 
not only the situation of neurodivergent children, but also multicultural communities that, on top of this, create a different level of complications that need to be worked out. How do you feel the CIMI podcast will provide support, help, education, and guidance to many parents of neurodivergent children, but also for community overall who may not even know these situations and what takes for someone to understand, to read those signs and take actions that are more supportive for neurodivergent children? I mean, I think if I think about my community as a whole, and I've lived in Holyoke all my life, I there's a lot of similarities between families with neurodivergent children, um, trauma and poverty and, and things that can, from a profile perspective, be very similar. Um, Courtney mentioned dysregulation. You know, if you're coming to school hungry or you're coming to school frightened because something occurred um, in the neighbor's house next door or, you know, I, we mentioned the, the shooting drill, that could make everyone dysregulated in a classroom. And when you are dysregulated, it's very hard. Someone described the, the, uh, the, the phrases as, you know, the right way to be, quote unquote, the right way um, to show up is in one, two, three mode. When you're dysregulated, you show up in three, two, one mode, right? Where you are just reactive and it's not, your rational brain is not there. And children, just like adults, when, you know, I'm sure everyone adults have, have gotten into that dysregulation mode, um, that's, how, that's how they're re reacting. And I think to me, the podcast benefit is just asking people to step back and listen to other people and see other people and how they and be curious, right? Be curious about the differences that they may be encountering um, and just asking, you know, why instead of assuming negative intent, you know, um, because I feel in the many years that, that my family has um, gone through some of the special education uh, system and, and schooling and public education, it's there, I can count on maybe three fingers the times that those experiences um, in meetings and just different bureaucratic things have been um, welcoming, I guess, or uh, coming, starting from a place of understanding. And this is not, um, it's not a criticism of the school. It's more a criticism. Uh, it's more a criticism of the system in general. Like even when you think about the word special education, well, there's nothing special about making sure that every child gets an education, right? Like that isn't special. That's what's required. And I think we as a society and we as a community need to do a better job in stepping back and understanding those needs because when you you know rising tide lifts all boats right and if if we're leaving people out of the equation we're not we're not going to to evolve and succeed together and there's a lot on the line for especially for a community like Holyoke who's still in receivership so um, just to add on 
on to that. So the tagline for our podcast is navigating um, the journey of neurodiversity at home, at school, at work, and in life. So absolutely one of the primary uh, targets of our audience would be parents at home, working in home, right? Advocating in the schools. But to go beyond parent-child relationships and empowering parents and empowering children and you know, changing the dynamic of the relationship that exists when there is this challenging dynamic of the kids not meeting your expectations as a parent, to go beyond that audience to peer-to-peer, you know, adult-to-adult relationships, um, student-to-student relationships, get curious, mm-hmm. right? Um, when you're in a parent-to-parent relationships, like don't be judgmental of another parent, please. They're doing their best. And if they could get their child to do their homework by taking their phone away or stopping them from playing video games, I guarantee you they would. And they probably have already tried it and it doesn't work. <laughs> um, but also, I think it's it's in, in the workplace, you know, bosses to... Uh, employees, employers to employees, like diversity, equity, and inclusion also includes invisible disabilities. Um, And then as um, Patty mentioned, you know, people being dysregulated, what we mean by that is they're not emotionally ready to do what's being asked of them. So their emotions are getting in the way of their ability to think logically. And when people's basic needs aren't met, they're not going to be emotionally ready. And we think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I think we need to put invisible disability somewhere, right? Like the neurological readiness and ability as a part of that hierarchy of need to be met. Um, And to this podcast, goes out to administrators in school systems. It goes out to state legislators. It goes out to federal legislators because we want this to be, to, we want this information to go beyond people's homes, to go beyond, we want it to go into the schools, we want it to go into the workplace, and we want it to go to capitals in the states, and we want it to go you know, to Capitol Hill because policy in the workplace, policy in the schools needs to change to help code of conduct expectations to be changed, to help response to interventions in school systems to change, and to help people see behaviors not just as something to control and extinguish, but rather something to understand. And let's see what's behind it. And how can we live from a place of compassion? I I call it uh, compassionate curiosity Mm -hmm. instead of I need to extinguish and control because they're not listening. So, um, yeah, I mean, this podcast is meant to go as far as anyone will allow it to go. And certainly it crosses um, cultural boundaries and geographic boundaries because we're all human beings and we all have these brains that are functioning with different chemicals in them with different ways of firing and just like our heart our eye 
our stomach, our pancreas, our organs of the body. The brain is an organ of the body that can have dysfunction and can function differently than someone else's. We just don't have the tools that allow us to see it, test it, and understand it in a cost-efficient way, in the same way that we do right now with eyes, the pancreas, <laughs> the heart, etc. It's coming. We have functional magnetic resonance imaging that allows us to understand these brain-based disabilities a little bit more and to see which parts of the brain are firing at different times compared to, you know, a, a brain that has a person whose brain, a person who has ADHD, um, we can now, you know, take pictures of their brain and see how it's firing and compare it to a brain that does not have ADHD. And we see differences. And so, but it's not cost effective. <laughs> so it's only done in, in, certain, in certain instances, not diagnostically. Yeah, and the other, the other thing I would say too is it's not always easy to know what you don't know. And I think like for, for parents um, or well-meaning um, folks in the field or in, in education who may know, like I'll give an example of a dyslexia. Oh yes, my cousin has this or oh, this is, and it's not, it's really not each parent and each child has unique experiences. I mean, obviously there's similarities with symptoms, but I, I say that because that getting curious and not judging other parents that you mentioned, Courtney, um, is, is just really integral to that because a lot of times people think, oh, dyslexia is about reversing letters or it's about, you know, an inability to read. Yes, and it's also about not being able to make it through the whole day as your best self after you've just tested in heavy ELA subjects like English and history um, and science back to back where you, your brain has been working on overdrive to stay functioning and so your ability to regulate yourself when you get to your home economics class or your gym class might not be at optimum capacity because your brain has has been and that's the kind of curiosity and I guess empathy that I'd like the conversation to get to that what you're seeing may not what be what you believe is actually happening if, if that makes sense and dyslexia is only one part mm -hmm. of a person 100%. and it interfaces with the other pieces of that human with their strengths with their skills with their interests you know whether they're an extrovert an introvert like there's all types of um, different ways that dyslexia can manifest itself there are certainly the diagnostic criteria but the way it presents can show up in a variety of different ways, including the way in which the IQ impacts it, mm -hmm. its presentation as well. So the CB podcast is already in production. You can actually listen to some episodes that are already out there in the different platforms for podcasts. Uh, my understanding is based on Spotify, which is right now possibly one of the most important platforms there exists in this point in time, 2023, for distribution of podcasts for anybody, anywhere. And this is, at the same time, the perfect point to bring together 
the Simi podcast into the production in, in Holyoke Media. So we will be linking this podcast to our own distribution as well, because we think and we believe it's important this type of conversations and content are available for the most people we can connect with. So that way, our own local community can get the opportunity of enjoying of these conversations, possibly joining into them, provide more back and forth exchange of stories or situations that can be more opportunities to keep learning together. And for that matter, I really want to congratulate you, to commend you and show a huge amount of appreciation and respect for this effort because it's not only finding the need and taking the initiative, it's figuring out how to make it work on your own to create the podcast, putting it out all by yourselves. <laughs> so I really admire the work that you did already so far and we are more than happy to have you here and to amplify the presence of the Simi podcast. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Yeah, we are so grateful to be here and to be able to use the the studio and to have your expertise also with us. Um, but to your point of our drive to do it by ourselves, I, I think we're very passionate about that because we care, obviously, you know, beyond our own families that we just see a whole world out there that's being missed and need in need of nurturing. Exactly. Amen. So this is our conversation with Patty and Courtney, the host producers and experts in the CME podcast that is uh, available on Spotify. And also we will be providing the links for it in case that you want to check it out. Thank you so much for being here with us. And what a perfect time to share and to connect through technology, but with this important aspect of being always seeing the things that sometimes many of us take for granted. So you are making a view more clear. And I thank you for that. Thank you very much. Yeah. We'll see you next time. I'm Jochen Rashivega. You're watching Holyoke Media.